That's right. They got routed. They got defeated. There was a whole lot of people that died. Whole got, whole lot of good, well-meaning people. Because they didn't consult the Lord first. Either way, they had to go into battle, Brother Becker. They had to go fight. But the Lord was with them. When the Lord was with them, they won the battle. So we have to go into the battle. We are his laborers together with him. We, we are the ones that are going into the battle, not him. He's going with us. He's sending us. He's directing us. But we're going in there and doing the fighting. We're doing the laboring. That's what we're talking about in this series, right? Praise God. Let's go to that first scripture, Brother Ryan. Hallelujah. We're talking about being laborers together with God. Amen. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal and as unto babes in Christ. What an indictment, right? I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For you are not, for are ye not carnal, whereas <clears throat> there is among you envying, strife, divisions. Are ye not yet carnal and walk as men? Do we have that among us from time to time? Yes, we do. If we're honest with ourselves, we have those things. Envying, strife, divisions. We have those things to whatever level we have them. There's always something going on because there's always flesh involved. And so he wasn't condemning them. He was just trying to get, we talked about this last week. He was trying to get their attention, trying to wake them up. Right? <laughs> like all those times we got dropped for all those push-ups all through those eight weeks. They were trying to get our attention, trying to wake us up. Physically or otherwise. <laughs> Wake up and get a hold of yourself, soldier. You're in the army now. You're not behind a plow. <laughs> You'll never get rich from digging a ditch. I gotta finish it. <laughs> right? That's what you left the ditch for was to go in the army to find something to do. And so the Lord expects us to be busy and He expects us to be awake and paying attention. What he's telling the church here, and for a while one's, for a while one saith, I am of Paul, and another I am of Apollos, are you not yet carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? It could have been somebody else besides Paul and Apollos. It could have been one of them. Paul and Apollos just happened to be the vessels he, he chose for that hour and that moment. I have planted. Apollos watered. Could have been either any one of you doing that. But God gave the increase. God got the glory. So then neither is he that planteth anything. Doesn't matter what your name is, your pedigree, who you, where you came from, how long you've been in church. Doesn't matter. If you're second, seventh generation Pentecost, it doesn't matter. God can use anybody. You've heard this before. God can use a donkey. And he did. Neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. And I'm going to stop right there. And so we're talking about being laborers. We're talking about, we were talking about being in a, the great co-mission, right? 
we call it the Great Commission, but it's really co-mission. So we're on a mission. God's mission, Jesus said it, to seek and to save that which was lost. But who does he use him to do that? Us. The church. His body. Right? Body has a head. Who's the head? Where's the head? Imagine if you're, you're, you're in the lake. You're just kind of out there sunbathing in the lake, right? And everything in your body is below the water line. Except right here, from here, your head's above water. So you can breathe, right? That's kind of how it is. He's up there. He's the head. We're the body. We, the body does what the head tells it to do, doesn't it? Isn't that how it works? I don't know if there's any medical people in here, but your brain, and, and that's why this back here is so important. All your nerve endings, all that stuff is run by this thing on in your noggin right here. You know, just me walking around, my brain is telling me to move my feet, to swing my arms, to open and close my eyes, to blink, for my heart to beat. It's doing all of that while I'm just standing here talking to you. It's doing all that in that for you. When What happens when the brain stops working? They call them brain dead, right? they got to hook them up to a bunch of machines just to keep all their organs functioning. Because the thing that was running everything is, is dead and gone. But Jesus is not that. So we... We are, what we do every day is determined by the head. So we need to be listening as the body to the head. Does that make sense? So we talked about being prayers, persons that pray. How was the church born? In prayer. Prayer meeting. They didn't just go up there and sit around for 10 or 12 days. Twiddle their thumbs, clean their nails, clip their nails, do whatever. They didn't do all that. They, they were, this was serious. Nobody had ever received the promise of the Father. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know what it was going to feel like or act like or anything. But they knew that he said, you go there and you're going to receive the promise of the Father. And that was in Scripture. Promise of Abraham, right? And so what happened? They received it. And on down through there in the book of Acts, it says what they did. They went, they, they went together. They, they were all together and had all things common. Fellowship and breaking bread and having prayers. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be or such as were being saved. God wasn't just doing all the saving and they were just sitting back in their houses chowing down and having a good time. Somebody had to be praying. Because if you think back during that time, the Jewish religion was really powerful. And you were either devout Jew or you were devout Gentile. The Greeks and all those people. And they were, you know, the smart people and all the, you know, the, the Greeks and the Romans. And so you either one or the other. And a lot of people couldn't read or write. So they had to depend on the Word of God, the, the, the verbal spoken Word of God. And so that's how this thing got passed around. Prayer and people sharing the love of God with somebody else in their neighborhood. It hasn't changed. 
today. It hasn't changed. They didn't do this on a regular basis. If you read, if you study the word ecclesia, it was usually a group of people that met at the gate of the city. It was always a public gathering. I know we're publicly gathered here, but this is not what what was what it was meant in the New Testament church. It wasn't they didn't have a building. I know I'm just totally blowing some people's minds right now. Mine included. It's a small explosion. But we didn't they didn't have that. It, they went from house to house. Church wasn't where they were. It wasn't a building. What was it? Church was who they were, not what they did. Church, Ecclesia, it was the body. It was a body of believers gathering together for one purpose. So we could go out in the middle of the street right now, and it would be we would be the church. When each one of us leaves this place tonight and we go home, we get up in the morning and go to work and go our own separate ways, you're the church. Whenever, Wherever you go, if you're the only guy there that's apostolic that believes this, you're the church in that place. All of us aren't there. We're with you in prayer. We're with each other in prayer, right? But we're the church. When you're at the nursing home, you're the church. You're part of the body, right? Jesus told those stories about the body. No part's more valuable than the other. They all have a purpose. From the little toe all the way, you know, to whatever. So one of the things that we need to do as laborers together with God, we're going to get into this, is we are, that was all not even in my notes. I don't know why I said all that, but somebody needed to hear it. So let's just settle it with that. We are all to be obeyers and doers. Because if you just, a cursory study of the word laborers, if you look up that word that, that, that we read, laborers together with God, a laborer is not somebody that's sitting still. There's activity going on. There's work going on. I don't know, some people might be laboring to just sit still. I don't <laughs> But it's not the idea. We're supposed to be busy about our Father's business, not, a, not somebody else's business. James 1, 19-25 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. That's about those carnal ways that Paul was talking about in that first scripture we read tonight. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Nothing else is going to save you but the word. Amen? But be ye doers, that's, that's workmen, that's craftsmen, that's builders of the word, and not hearers only, Deceiving your own selves. The word was to go and make disciples, was it not? For if any man, if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. 
For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, you've got to really look at it. Really, really study it. Really get into this liberty that we have. Why do we have it? What's the purpose for it? Why am I here? Why am I in this truth? Why do I, why am I a part of the church? We've got to ask ourselves that. And continue therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, the labor, the doing of God's business, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Didn't we just read that we're going to be judged according to every one of us, according to our own labor, our own deeds, our own work? So we can't just go look in the mirror after we've been filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name and say, man, look at me. I am, I, God has done a mighty work in me. Wow, this is awesome. Okay, let's all go, go do something. And you can't just go run off and do your own thing. That's what that's talking about. God didn't pull us into this for us to just go run off and do our own thing. Can't. Our way is not going to be, if it's not God's way and if it's our, you know, is this the way I'm supposed to be doing this, God? Everything. That word meekness, it says it is the attitude in the spirit we, uh, of the spirit we accept God's dealings with us as good and do not dispute or resist. Don't fight against God. What did, what did, what did Jesus tell Paul? Why are you, why are you kicking against the prick, Paul? Why are you fighting against this thing? Why are you trying to do your, I mean, Paul meant well, didn't he? He thought he was doing right. He thought he was a good religious Jew. He thought he was doing right. And Jesus was saying, it's me who you're persecuting. Why are you kicking against, why are you pushing back against What's coming? That engrafted word that was talked about in that scripture, it means the implanted, it means implanted from another source, a seed sown in us designed to germinate and grow and spring up in us and produce the intended fruit of the implanted seed. So when we got the Holy Ghost, when we got baptized in Jesus' name, in God's Mind, we already have a, de- a destiny. We already have a, a purpose in life. It's up to us to find out what that is and go do it. And he's planted that seed in us. And, and it goes on to say the beginning of the process that leads us in the direction of serving Jesus. It's a process. My wife and I just planted a little, what do you call that? A little stand-up garden, raised garden. And all those little seeds that she planted for her beans and stuff are all starting to pop through the ground. But they were just kind of underneath the dirt there for a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden there's life and growth and it takes time. And it's going to be another couple of weeks, a month maybe, we're going to have some beans. You know, those things are going to come out of the dirt when they're all, all grown out and then we're going to do it again next year. And that's how it works, isn't it? When the Savior pulled us out of the pit and brought us alongside of him to be his co-labor, he didn't leave it up to us to figure out how to do the job. Does that make sense? He has outfitted us with everything we need to accomplish the task that he's called us to do. 
Paul did not run off on his own after he got the Holy Ghost and got baptized in Jesus' name. He didn't. Go back and read it. Paul was not his own. He was bought with a price. That's not just for Paul. That's for all of us. You don't get to be your own boss. Is that what that means? If I'm wrong, tell me. You don't get to have a say. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, you do. (laughs) You get to say, yes, Lord, whatever you want me to do. You do get to have a say. I was wrong there. I'm sorry. apologize for that. That's the kind of say you get to have. And if you have anything else to say but that, are you being contrary with what God's will might be for your life? If you're trying so hard to go that way and he wants you to go that way, he's not going to force you. He's not going to make you go witness to people. He's not going to make you do anything. Up to and including walking up to an altar and and repenting. He's not going to make you do it. Because you're going to have your own reward for your own labor, for your own actions, for your own words. All of us are. Matthew 11, 29, 30 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Obedient doers. When I took this job at the VA, I, I'm, I got 40 plus years in telephone business, but there was a lot of stuff about my job I didn't know, really know how to do just yet. And I'm thankful for a boss that has empowered me to learn. He's, he's let me make mistakes and learn from my mistakes. I'm getting better at a lot of that stuff. And so now that I'm better at it, he keeps heaping more stuff on me. Isn't that, isn't that sort of the natural progression? Even when you become, when you go from an E4 to an E5, E6, they start to heap more stuff on you because you're now able to handle the responsibility. And the Lord's trying to do that with us. If you can be faithful in the small things, the labors that he's asking you, the little things, he's going to give you more stuff. He's going to open doors for you to do things that you never thought you could eat. You, you thought there's no way I'll ever do that. There's no way I'll ever preach. There's no way I'll ever fill in the blank. He'll do it. But you got to be available. He said, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you're in the yoke, you're learning. You're learning to be an obedient hearer and an obedient doer. Go where the teacher leads you. Let the Lord lead you. Just like the founders of the United States of America and those that were part of the first church, we're kind of the same kind of people, right? They gave of their fortunes. They left their home country, and they gave of all that they had, their fortunes and everything in this country to make this country what it is today. And those people on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that they had all things common. They sold all their possessions and good and parted them to everyone as everyone had need. What they wanted and what... What possessions they had weren't theirs anymore. They understood that. 
We're in, this is something totally new. We're in, we're in God's army now. We are doing, we're not doing what we did yesterday. That is behind us. Today is a new day. We gotta be busy about our Father's business. And don't you know that's exactly what they did? Did they do it perfect at first? Did they even do it perfect later? No. Because we read these letters from Paul. He has to keep admonishing the churches all over the place. But these were new believers that were trying to learn their way. First time God uses somebody in the gift, tongues and interpretation make mistakes. I've heard plenty of people that God uses to to prophesy things like I said it, and then God said, why did you say that? I didn't tell you to say it. I told it to you, but I didn't tell you to say it yet. And they had to learn. He didn't give them all the the whole layout. And You know, here's the manual on how to use this. He didn't do that. He lets us learn. Okay, I, I need to, when God tells me something, I need to just wait till he tells me to speak it. Sometimes it's just for us. We need to be able to understand and comprehend and know that. And so, you know, we're just, we're like that. We've come into this thing. We're, we gotta be in it. We gotta be sold out to this thing. It's not, we don't come into this and say, well, I'm in church now. I don't need to do anything else. You know? We don't, we don't, we get saved. We come to church because we are saved. Right? Is that, that, we do. We come to church because we are saved. But our salvation experience is not the end of the matter. Hebrews 6 and 1. Let's, let's go, let's move beyond the, the basic stuff. Let's move beyond the, the baptisms and repentances and let's go on to perfection. Let's, let's get into some more, some more depth. Paul was a new convert. He didn't do all that stuff in the beginning. He had to learn. All of those disciples, Timothy, Titus, all those people, they had to learn. And we, the only way we learn, by trying and failing. the truth. Luke 14:25 says, and there went great multitudes with him and turned and, and he turned and said unto them, if any man come to me and hate not his father, father, mother, wife, children, brethren and sisters, yea even his own life, also he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he be have sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. Saying, this man began to build, but he was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet the, uh, him that cometh against him with 20,000, or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage ambassadors, and desired conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever he be of you that forsaketh not all 
that he hath. He cannot be my disciple. Doesn't when, up there in the beginning of that it said, if, you, "If any man come to me and hate not his all of his family members, does that mean you hate them? No, that means they become second or a minimum of second or third in your life. Everything from that point on, Jesus has to be first. And so the question I, that I'm going to pose to you tonight is the one you need to ask yourself: Is Jesus First in your life. And there's a simple principle in the Bible. You'll know a tree by its fruit. So let the fruit speak for itself. But he did bring us into this so that we might bear fruit. And that the Bible says, and that that fruit should remain. We have a, guys, we have a purpose in life. At a minimum, just like a, an army guy that, or a girl that's, that's, might be in some technical MOS, the bottom line is they're in 11 Bravo. Bottom line is we're soul winners. Everybody's a soul winner. Everybody's a soul winner. Everybody's a soul winner. Everybody's a soul winner. You might have gifts for this or that or the other, and that's fine. And God will use you in that. But the bottom line is, those people in the new church, the first church, they went out from house to house breaking bread and having fellowship. They all did that. So are we true laborers together with God if we're not winning souls? That's a hard question to answer. If I'm not winning souls, can I be saved? And I just say, well, I've, I've won enough now. I'm, it's time for somebody else to step up. Can we say that? Really? I mean, really? What was her name, Sister Linda, the 70-year-old? Yeah. <laughs> Went to some little podunk town in Minnesota. At 70, God said, go up here and start a church. <laughs> in the flash... Some of us would say, but, but God, don't you realize I'm 70? You think he didn't know that? <laughs> and she would have never met that guy raking leaves. But she had to understand that even at 70, when she should be retired in the world standards, God wasn't finished with her yet. And she taught... 90 plus, she said, maybe upwards of 150 Bible studies. Why did God send her to Minnesota? To some town I never heard of. I don't know. She might have asked that question and he might have just said, don't worry about it. Just go. And God gave the increase. And she, when she called that pastor and and that presbyter and all those people and say, here's what God's talked to me about and here's what he's told me to do there. What do you think? <laughs> what do you think? They said, uh, yeah, <laughs> come on. We can't get them begging and, scre- begging and hollering and screaming to come here. God's sending somebody? Bring them on. So where's God going to send you when you're 70? I don't know. It's not my problem. 
That's his problem. But I hope and pray, if the Lord tarries, that when I get to that age, he's still sending me somewhere, Sister Parker. I don't want to just, just like Brother Parker says, I don't want to just fold my tent and say I'm done. I don't want to do that. I don't want to hang up my boots and say, I've done enough, God. It's time for somebody else, a younger one, to step up. I'm still a laborer. I'm done when he says I'm done. But we got to be willing to be willing and make ourselves available first. He's not going to force you to be a laborer. He's going to let you, he's going to, by his mercy and grace, he's going to let you in the kingdom. And, you know, the amazing thing about God is he will do that. He will let you be filled with the Holy Ghost, knowing that you might turn away from him and walk away. How do I know that? People do it all the time. They renege on their promise to God. They made a promise at the altar and they said, in their mind, in their spirit, or out loud, they said, some of you in this room may have said this, when it was your time to come to the altar, God, I'll do anything. I'll do anything you ask me if you'll just save me. Anybody in here said that? Don't, don't raise your hand. But if you said that, he took you at your word. And so if you renege on that, it's on you. But God will just find somebody else. He will find a willing vessel somewhere. And he will, I said this before, he will take a new convert that's only been in church a week, and he will give them a desire to win souls, and they will start bringing them in here in busloads, and we're all sitting around going, well, <laughs> what's my problem? I've lived here all my life. <laughs> What's this young young buck think he's doing bringing these new converts in here? Why are we going to stop him? <laughs> That's what we're supposed to be doing. 2 Corinthians 1, chapter 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in our tribulation. What tribulation is he talking about? What kind of tribulation is Paul going through? He's out there busy about his father's business, going into the synagogues, trying to talk these Jews into being apostolic, and all those people he's trying to talk to, and they're trying to run him through and chase him down and throw rocks at him and do all kinds of stuff. Isn't he? Aren't they? That's the tribulation he's talking about. He's out there busy. Doing God's will. And that's what's going to happen to us if we're really serious about taking this gospel and just proclaiming the love of Jesus to people. Everybody's not going to like it. I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you. Everybody's not going to want it. But you have to be willing to say it anyway. If God's sending you to say it, just say it. Let him worry about the details after that. It's on them if they choose to spit in your face or throw rocks at you or whatever. You just have to walk away like those disciples did after they went to the council and got beaten. They recounted it worthy 
themselves worthy to be suffered for the name of Jesus. We're going to have to understand that. This is for me, too. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, well, they had a lot of suffering. They were, they were obedient doers, right? Paul was an obedient doer. He couldn't preach that if he wasn't living it. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. What did the, what did, what did the Bible say that said that Jesus said it? That you're going to be persecuted. It's going to happen. He didn't say you might be persecuted. It's, it says in the book, you shall be hated of all men for my namesake. When's the last time you felt hated by somebody? And if you say, well, not, not recently. You have to ask yourself, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? If I'm not feeling any pressure, if I'm not being persecuted, if I'm not feeling hated by somebody. We need to get out of our spiritual safe space. (laughs) And that's not in my notes. But we need to get out of our spiritual safe space. We're not going to win lacrosse or any other city for that matter if we don't. Praise God. We are called to separate ourselves from the world, are we not? That's one of the things that we need to learn. That's one of the things about being an obedient doer is we gotta, we gotta, the Bible talks about us separating ourselves and, and avoiding those things in the world and all that stuff, does it not? It does say that. But I, I don't believe what the, the intent of those scriptures is not saying Go hide in a building somewhere and avoid all contact with anybody that's not apostolic and keep yourself saved until Jesus comes. That is not what that's saying. That is not what that's saying. Because the churches, if you read the New Testament, the churches were out. They were making lots of mistakes. We know that because Paul had to constantly write these letters, but he was also encouraging them. He wasn't just just pounding on them and beating them like a, a mean father. He was trying to get their attention. He was trying to say, come on, guys, this is about the kingdom. Let's Let's get our act together. Because we are his example. How are they going to know out there how to live and how to walk and how to, how to, how to serve God unless they have some kind of an example to follow? Yes, we need to stand for holiness and righteousness and truth and separation and all those things, but not to the point where we keep ourselves totally separated. I'm not even going to go around those sinners out there. One of them might rub off on me, Brother Becker. Well, if you're worried about that, you might have bigger problems. I'm convinced. Are you? 
I'm done. I'm convinced. I am apostolic through and through. As far as I know right now, I have no intention whatsoever of turning back. There's nothing out there that I want to go back to. Nothing. So nobody out there is going to convince me unless I just stop praying and and start thinking for myself and doing my own thing and, and just making my own decisions. That's when I start letting my guard down spiritually, and that's when the enemy will come in and he will start talking to me. Is it really, you know, he doesn't do that to anybody else in here but me, does he? Is it really necessary? Is that really necessary? Really? Do you really have to do that? Do you really have to do that? They need us to be firm in our salvation. They need us. And I said it earlier, I don't see in the New Testament, unless if you see it, some of you Bible scholars tell me, but I don't see where they met in the building. I don't read that. I read that they went from house to house. They were busy. They were busy. Romans 16, 3 through 5 says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ, who have for my life laid down their own necks. Gonna put your neck on the line someday for the kingdom. I said this last week. I think the retirement plan for the disciples, the apostles, was awesome, wasn't it? <laughs> they got a couple years of ministry and then they got killed. No retirement for their family or anything. Just trust God. They didn't have four hundred one ks or anything. who have for life laid down their necks, unto whom not only I give thanks. I'm thankful that they've done that, Paul said, for the kingdom, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epinatus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia under Christ. So somebody, that guy named Epinatus, was out there soul winning because his first fruit was Achaia. Somebody was winning somebody. Somebody was talking to somebody about Jesus. They didn't have a Bible study. They didn't have an exploring God's Word. They didn't even have a Bible. They were just telling their testimony. I don't know, man. I just, all I know is that, that I felt something really weird like air conditioning and the next thing I know I raise my hands and the next thing I know I'm saying something in a language that I don't understand and the next thing I know I'm being baptized and everything changed after that. That's a pretty good testimony. It's a good launching point. Because then somebody will say, what do you mean? I loved it when we were baptizing people in the East China Sea, Sister Parker. We go down to that seawall on Sundays on all of our suits and dresses and all these people down there drinking their beer and, and scuba diving and all the, you know, in their bikinis or whatever. And there's all of us lined up on the seawall. And there's a couple of preachers out there with the candidates in their suits, baptizing somebody, dunking people in the water. And you'd be standing there on the seawall and we'd be singing and just, and somebody would invariably walk up and say, what are y'all doing? Well, let me tell you, we got more Bible studies out of that one thing we did. We want more people on that seawall. By accident, not really by accident, but 
you know, we had to be there. It was hot, 95 degrees, humid. Last thing you wanted to be wearing in weather like that was a suit and tie. Right? Am I right? But we did it. And we got people all over this world that came out of that, that were baptized in the, in the sea, came in and washed their sins out to sea. I want that to happen here. Don't you? As laborers together with God, we are to be planters and waterers. Well, I've got time. Good. 1 Corinthians 3.8 says, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. We've got some planters and waterers in this room and online. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For the, that same scripture in something called the Passion Translation says this, Now the one who plants and the one who waters are equally important and on the same team. I've read that before, haven't I? They're on the same team. There's no I in team, is there? There isn't. But each will be rewarded for his own work. When I go to work and I log into my computer every day, I am responsible for my eight hours to keep myself gainfully employed and busy doing the things that are expected of me to be done. And not only those things that just the things that are expected of me, but it's it, it behooves me to be proactive and to involve myself in other things to, to help push the mission of my uh, the IT department forward. Right? In the natural. Makes sense. Doesn't it? And so we, we're, it behooves us to be busy about our Father's business with no excuses. Age is not a limitation. The Thomases are in their 70s in Stoughton, starting a church in their 70s. Not 70, like 75 or 78. Not supposed to be doing that in our mind, right? Well, they're supposed to be retiring, Brother Terry. But God sent them to Stoughton to start a church. And they... They accepted the offer because they know that it's it's not about what they want to do. I'm sure in the flesh he'd like to retire and she'd like to retire, but they understand that this is about the kingdom and their time of rest will come. Their time of rest will come. And God knows that there's limitations with their age physically. He knows that. He knows our limitations. He knows our weaknesses. He walked on this earth. He understands. So he he's probably not giving them more than they can handle, but he's helping them. And they're doing a work for God in that city. Maybe because somebody else younger refused to go. I don't know. That's between them and God and that whoever that is. But that that's a possibility. 
God might have been dealing with somebody to go there, and they just said, I don't go anywhere but Stoughton. <laughs> and I can just hear God saying, well, then you won't go anywhere. <laughs> you don't want to go where I'm asking you to go? Like that 70-year-old woman going to that, what town was it? Hibby, never, never heard of it. She probably never heard of it either when God told her to do that. Right? She probably had to get her phone out and look it up on Google and say, oh, there's where Hit Me is or wherever, whatever it's called. <laughs> we'll talk about it. I can't hear you up here. You can't sow seeds from a barn. You can't sow seeds while you're standing inside the barn. I know the seeds are in the barn. So technically you can sow seed from a barn, but you can't sow seed standing in the barn with the seeds. Can you? We don't bring the dirt into the barn and pour it on the seeds and say, there you go. Do we? Because seeds got to go in dirt to grow, right? So it doesn't work the other way. Here, let's go get some dirt and pour on these seeds. See if they'll grow in the barn where there's no sunshine, no rain, none of the stuff, no wind, none of the stuff that needs to be a part of the process of that seed germinating and growing. So the seed's got to get out of the barn, doesn't it? In other words, we take the seed to the dirt. We're not, we're laborers, not observers of seed. Oh, look, there's the seeds. They're in the barn. Yay. I think seeds go stale. If you don't plant them after a while, I don't know that, but if they're not stored right, they'll just go bad. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's right. You know, those little whirly birds that fall out of the the maple trees and stuff, after a while, they if you don't plant them, they just kind of die, dry up and, you know. So we got to get the seeds out of the barn. What's the barn in this word picture? What's the barn? You're sitting in it. This is the barn. Right here, this building is the barn. Where's the dirt? Early on in this thing, I was reading one of the one of the definite Greek definitions or whatever the word labor is said something about laboring in the dust, and I saw that and I went, "Remember, man, that you are dust. We were made from dust, so we got to be out there laboring in the dust." The dust is those people out there. And there's a lot of those people out there that you're not going to want to talk to, and God's going to send you to talk to them. And if you don't, I don't know what to tell you. But we laugh and joke and cut up about people like Jeff Arnold and different ones that are part of our organization now, but he wasn't always like the guy you know. 
If you don't know his background and his history, he wasn't like this at all. Matter of fact, he was a polar opposite of what we believe and teach. He was a, a honky-tonk. He can tell you his own story. He, he lived in the honky-tonks, drinking like a fish all the time. And there's people in this city right now, Brother Becker, that are just like him. None of, some of us would have nothing to do with them. But what if God's telling you? Not, he might, he's not going to tell you to go in the bar. I don't think. But what if he did? I taught my, my own brother a Bible study sitting in a bar. There was nobody in there. He was working at a bar, and it was a weeknight, and there was nobody in there, and I was home on leave. And it was the only opportunity I had to teach a Bible study to my brother. And so I went in there, and I got a bite to eat and sat at the bar talking to him because I was only there for a couple of days. It was when I was on my way to, to Venoc. Like, I was there like five days, and I thought, well, if I don't sit down here and teach him this Bible, I carried my Bible right in there. And he ended up getting baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. So, his ways are higher than our ways, aren't they? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We would never think of doing that. I saw Brother DeMuth walk in a bar. I'll never forget when they, when the kids in the church I was attending in Louisville saw my brother walk out of Walmart and light up a cigarette. <laughs> and they're going, Mom, <laughs> Brother DeMuth's lighting up a cigarette. And they just kind of nonchalantly said, that's not him, that's his brother. <laughs> he would never do that. And I wouldn't. So the Bible, Paul talked about him and Apollos being planters and waterers. So we got to be planters and waterers. What we're called to do. Among the many things that I've talked about, prayers, planters, prayer is part of the watering process. Prayer is part of the, the planting process. Because you don't just, after winter and all that, and all the, the leaves have fallen and all that, you don't just take your seeds out in the field and just start tossing them without what? Plowing the field. What did, as soon as it got warm enough and the, the ground wasn't frozen around here anymore, that's, a, that's all I saw them doing. My drive up 90 back and forth every day was plowing these fields up and putting the manure down and, and getting them ready for the seed. And so as planters, we got to understand that the, the, the soil has to be made ready first. And how does that happen? Prayer. What do we what do we call that when we go pray over a city around here? Plowing before the planter? That's what they call that, right? We gotta go plow. We gotta talk to God about men before we talk to men about God. And so we got there's got to be some plowing. And that word planters in the Greek is from the derivative of another Greek word, but it means to set out in the earth, i.e. to implant, figuratively to instill doctrine. The planting doesn't just stop when you hand out a track and then somebody responds to that track and they come to this building. You're planting. When somebody gets up here to teach, we're planting stuff. 
After the service is over, we're back there talking to them, setting up a Bible study. We're planting. We're watering. We're, we're stirring up the ground, weeding it. <clears throat> that word water means from a derivative of, of another Greek word. It means to furnish drink, to irrigate, to make, to drink. What did Jesus tell the woman at the well? If you'll drink from this well, you'll never thirst. How many remember that? Never being thirsty anymore. To give drink, to furnish drink, to water, to irrigate plants in the field. Metaphorically, to imbue, saturate one's mind. Like you were talking about, I wasn't, I wasn't the, the premier apostolic when I got in this. I was anything but. I was a new convert. It took me a year to get rid of my TV. But God worked on me in His time. And in His time, when He convicted me of it, I started letting go of things. And God, I allowed God to deal with me. We have to give, afford people that are coming into this the same privilege and luxury of, of letting God add to the church. We, it, they're not going to stay here if you bring people in here kicking and screaming and you try to force them to become something that God has not, He's not done with, He's not done working. Everybody's coming from a different reality, a different, you know, lifestyle. Everybody's got different baggage that they're carrying. Some of us are still carrying baggage, believe it or not. No way. I let all that go. You think you did. I don't know about you, folks, but I want God, if there's something in here. I mean, look at Job. Job was a man that when you read about Job, you think he was just a man after God's own heart. There could not be anything possibly wrong with Job. Why did God make him go through all of that? Just to prove something to the devil? There was something in in Job, and if you read all the way through the book of Job, you find out God pulled God got it out of there. Because then Job got to that point where he got God saying, "Okay, Job, come to me like a man. Stand up. You want to be a man? Tell me where were you when I created the lightning and the thunder? Tell me where were you?" And just he went on and on and on. And Job realized he had a, a, a some, some kind of bitter spirit or something in there that was hidden way down deep. And God needed to get that out of there. I want God to get that out of there. Don't you? I do. So kind of bringing this down to, to a landing, the, the Bible, Paul talks about the, the reward that we'll receive for our labor. Right? So, where will we be rewarded? On earth? In heaven? What is, what's the reward? That word reward means apparently, uh, to pay for service, literally or figuratively, good or bad. Higher reward wages. Dues paid to work. Wages, higher. 
Reward, used of the fruit naturally resulting from toils and endeavors in both senses, rewards, and punishments. Of the rewards which God bestows or will bestow upon good deeds and endeavors of punishments. So, rewards can be both negative and positive. So, I want my reward, great is your reward in earth, right? No, no, it says in heaven. If your reward is down here, it's not much of a reward, really. This, this, this world is not our home. Our reward's not down here. If that's where you think your reward's coming from, then, then you need to step back and, and take a good hard look at yourself in the mirror. I want my reward to be from up there. I might have to suffer some things down here and not see my reward, but I know if I stay faithful and suffer the things I gotta suffer for the for the sake of the kingdom, great is my reward in heaven. So a reward for doing whatever it takes and whatever God is asking of us to do in the saving of lost souls would be something like hearing him say, Well done, now good and faithful servant. That's the kind of reward you want, isn't it? That's the one I that's the one I want to hear. So a negative reward, a reward for just existing and attending church services and paying your tithes and obeying the pastor and doing all the do's and not doing all the don'ts, not lifting a finger to do anything else other than what your flesh wants to do. What kind of reward would that person receive? What what would they hear? From the word, the Lord, he would he would say things to them like, depart from me, I never knew you. Or depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I think that's in the Bible. Matthew seven twenty one to 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say in that day, what day? What is that day? Many will say in that day, what is that day? That great day of the feast, that that day, right? The day of judgment, the day, that day. So this is talking about saved people, right? Because the next sentence, it says, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? What do we do? We do everything in the name of Jesus, don't we? Don't we? Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, the Bible says. So it says here, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And have we not cast out devils? And you can't cast out devils except by the name of Jesus, right? So these are Jesus' name people that Jesus is talking about. Because he's prophetic. He, he doesn't, he's not limited by where he's living. He's already talking about the future. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So iniquity in this case would be doing things your own way. Doing, the, doing it the way you want to do it. Does that make sense? Am I wrong? Because if you're not, because he says, 
Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So the opposite of that would have to be what he's talking about when he says iniquity. Not doing the will of the Father which is in heaven. So if you're not doing the will of the Father, then you're doing your own will and calling it God's will, maybe. I don't want to hear that. Do you? I want to be a, not just a laborer. I want to be a faithful laborer. I want, to, I want to know that whatever I'm doing for the kingdom, whether it's hurting me or not, is for the kingdom. And nothing else matters. Amen? Father, we love you tonight. We thank you tonight, Father, for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace.